So I was a sophomore at Clackamas Community College, and at the time I was also working as a janitor at the Valley View Day School, cleaning those toilets, scrubbing those floors. And this was a season in my life where I, even though I had grown up in church and even though I was on the worship team at my church, I was not playing piano at that time, believe it or not. I was rocking it on the bass and the guitar and the drums on occasion. But I was on this journey to explore this faith that I had been brought up into. And like many seasons in my life, music played an important role as I discovered who God was and what that meant to me. Now, I had grown up to appreciate most bands of the classic rock genre, even the less popular but just as influential hippie bands from the British Invasion to Laurel Canyon and even Woodstock and beyond. I got a good education that way. But there was one band, not of that era, but a little bit later, that somehow eluded my classic rock music education, and that was the band U2. I don't know how, but it, it wasn't there. So every so often, I would hear on the radio station in Portland, KGON, this song that every time it came on, I would stop everything, and I would just want to listen to this song, and it set my soul on fire every time I heard it. I'd never heard another rock song like this in my life. It started with this ethereal organ thing. What's it going to do? I don't know, but here we go, and then the the chimes of the electric guitar comes in and starts to create more tension. And then finally the drums and the bass burst into the mix with this driving quarter note beat that makes you feel like you just want to go on a run. And that's very fitting because the very first words of the song are, I want to run. And so if you're not familiar with the band U2, the song I'm talking about is called Where the Streets Have No Name. And I eventually got the CD with the song on it and I would put it in my compact disc portable player in my pocket and I would listen to it every night while starting my shift at the Valley View Day School. It was really quite an inspiring way like, uh, 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 I'm going to clean those toilets. I'm going to fill that paper. Here we go. And so it was a great way to start the night. But even though that was the song that introduced me to the band U2 and their album called Joshua Tree that oddly enough was released the year I was born, the song that I came to love most, and if you look on the Spotify uh, uh, song play count, I listen to Spotify, but the count, it's like millions of plays but it also happens to be one of my favorite songs. It's called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Uh, listen to the words of this song. Bono writes, I have climbed highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have kissed honey lips, felt the healing in her fingertips that burned like fire, this burning desire. I have spoke with the tongue of angels. I have held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, beyond just being an amazing piece of songwriting, I'm always a fan of that. What I love most about this song is that the writer really captures this feeling that he's tried all these things in his own effort to pursue this thing he's looking for, this object of his desire, but through all these efforts he still hadn't found what he was looking for. And my take on this song, because I know a little bit of the backstory of it, was that Bono was actually all along kind of expressing how he was looking for God through all these things. Kind of like how St. Augustine wrote once, he said, Everlasting God in whom we live and move and have our being, you have made us for yourself so that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You know, and I think if we're honest, everyone reaches that point sometime in their life. We do all these things, we do all this stuff, we try all these different band-aids to put on the situation to find fulfillment somehow, kind of like filling in the hole on drywall once there's a hole in it. You try your best, but still just put it in there. But all along, what we really need is God. And so with that in mind, the title for today's message is What I'm Looking For. If you're taking notes, our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 2. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring today is that Jesus is worth the journey. Jesus is worth the journey. This morning we're continuing in our series where we're taking a look at the gospel according to Matthew in the Bible. It's that first piece of writing in what we call the New Testament. And it's here that we are introduced to the king of God's kingdom, Jesus Christ. Our first week we looked at Jesus' family tree and we talked about how Jesus saves in all our life. Last week we looked at the birth story of Jesus and how the young woman named Mary and her fiancé Joseph handled the news that Mary was pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit even though she was a virgin. And through this scandalous ordeal we discover that with Jesus, we experience God's saving presence. And today, we're looking at the journey of some wise men from Persia who took a look for the Jewish Messiah so that they could honor and worship him. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You all are probably already there. I'm the only one left here in the dust. Here we go, beginning in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, 
Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. That's interesting. Continuing verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That's different than what he had said before. Now, that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report, of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when they learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we find in our passage is the wonder that inspires. The wonder that inspires. In the Bible, there's this idea called revelation. And I'm not just talking about the final book that uh, Norm and his crew are going to be studying in a couple of weeks 
even though that's a really wild ride and you totally should go for it. Um, no, Revelation, in just a really basic way of understanding it, is how God speaks to us. It's like an unfolding. It, it's like a message that unfolds, like you're opening a letter, here, here you go. And so you get to receive how God speaks to us. There are two primary distinct ways that God speaks to us. The first is called general revelation, and the second is called special revelation. Now, general revelation refers to God speaking to us through things that we all experience, something anyone, anywhere, anytime can experience, kind of like uh, natural events or nature in general. We see this in Romans 1, 19 through 20, where the Apostle Paul writes about humanity, saying, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So, they have no excuse for not knowing God. We can experience a revelation of God by going down to the beach and watching the waves or going on a hike, sitting and watching the stars in the night sky. General revelation is something that we can all experience at any time. The difference in special revelation is that when God speaks, it's to specific people at specific moments in places and time. Some examples of this are like how God spoke to Noah and warned him about the flood and said, hey, go build this boat. And Noah said, okay, how, how much? How, how long again? Uh, or how he talked to Abraham or other people in the scriptures. We see examples of this in how God spoke to the people of Israel through the prophets. And for you and me this morning, the most significant special revelation that we have is the Bible, where God speaks to us through the written words of this book because the Holy Spirit inspired people like you and me to write down what he had to say. Revelation. Now, here we have the story of these magi who were probably trained in some wisdom tradition that the prophet Daniel led through his time in Babylon. Maybe he left some notes for those future generations of magi. Maybe not. We don't know. But whatever the case, these lost wise men were looking at the stars one day. You know, another night at the office and all when somebody saw something. And that group of wise men saw this astronomical anomaly of a star that moved them to wonder at this strange occurrence. And they went on to interpret it to mean the announcement of the birth of the Jewish Messiah. I don't know how they got there at the side of the star, but they did. It's not like we have another paragraph in the Bible here to clue us in. But enough to say... They were so convinced of this newborn king in the land of Judah that they got up, gathered all their group together with their gifts and all, and started following this star. The Magi experienced a general revelation from God. Anyone, anytime in the world 
could have seen on a clear night and witnessed that phenomena take place. The only difference was the wise men were looking and they were searching for messages from the stars and they got this message from God loud and clear. Now, here's what's really interesting to me. This is how cool our God is. While I was doing our study, my study this week, I discovered that the wise men's journey was actually foretold by the prophet Isaiah. Want to find out how? Let's go there together. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6. This is about 750 years before the wise men would have gone on their journey. Check this out. Isaiah 60, verse 6. It says, Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. Talking about Jerusalem. The camels of Midian and Ephah, the people of Sheba, will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. How amazing is that? That's pretty cool. Now, the wonder that inspires is witnessing a revelation from God that moves you to act. God was fulfilling a promise he had made to his people to send them a savior to be God with us who would bring about salvation, who would set all things right and establish God's kingdom here on this earth. But some people, most of the people of God at that time, they completely missed it. God was signaling the fulfillment to his people and they didn't see it coming. Why? I have an idea of what may be the case, maybe kind of like we experience today. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be an impatient person. I know that's hard to believe because you just have met me and you don't know me that well, and maybe you might think I'm a patient person. There are times I'm not so patient. (laughs) Um, But maybe in our impatience, we stop short of the God-fulfilling promise and we settle for what we deem possible in our own strengths. Rather than take the journey to search out where God is wanting to be our fulfillment, we become contented by lesser things, even good things. And what we see here in the wise men's journey is that the world is searching for something real. They're looking for a hope to experience and participate in real, full, life, real salvation, more than just a checkbox on a job report, these magi were committed to coming and experiencing this real newborn king of the Jews and to honor him and worship him. News that God has come to save should inspire us to worship, but like Herod, power and Pride keep us from embracing and experiencing the God who has come to renew and restore all things. We see that in the leading administrations of Jerusalem. When the wise men and their entourage, they come to town, Jesus' kingdom uh, was seen as a threat to the status quo, and this news was not received well. Now, the wonder of this moment is that God knows the place and the time that his promises are fulfilled. The question is, will we believe and be ready 
to receive and participate in his good for us? Or will we spin out in our unbelief and ultimately reject what God is doing among us? Has the wonder of Jesus inspired you to make a journey to look for him? Will we go out of our way like the wise men to search him out so that we can experience and worship this king? The good news is that Jesus is worth the journey. In addition to the wonder that inspires we find in the story, the worship that fulfills. For the wise men, they saw the star and they started their journey. God had spoken in a way that they could understand, they could relate to, and they responded with action. Two years passed, though, since that first sighting, and they end up in Jerusalem because that's the place you would expect, Jerusalem, capital of Judah, in Judea, you'd expect for a newborn king to be born in the capital city. Jerusalem was the easy answer because when there's a long stretch between the moment a promise is revealed and we experience that to when a promise is fulfilled, it's easy to grow impatient and get off course. Like most people, maybe the wise men saw an easy answer and an easy fulfillment, and they were ready to settle on that rather than resting in what God had said and stay the course. But thankfully, because Herod launched a full scale, full line investigation with the priests and scribes who knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, they were able to recite as a matter of fact that, well, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, King David's hometown. So the Magi and their crew received this directive to go to Bethlehem and they are on the road again. Not only that, but as a result of pressing further, they returned ultimately to looking for the original sign as a confirmation. And lo and behold, that star led them to Bethlehem and the fulfillment of God's promise was guided by what God had spoken, not by their feelings. And the fulfillment was well worth the wait. Verse 10 and 11 said, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they gave, uh, I'm summarizing now, but uh, they gave Uh, Jesus the gifts and they bowed down and they worshiped him when God reveals we respond and that response is what we call worship in one of the most humble and common places of life the wise men encountered firsthand the special revelation of God's one and only son Jesus Christ they recognized God's presence and Jesus lordship and that moved them to bow before this child king Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done because our experience of him confirms his worth above all others. Did you know that King Herod was actually a well-renowned king? I didn't know that until I studied it. King Herod was actually known as Herod the Great. And he built, check this out, a mega temple that far outsized Solomon's temple for the Jews. And he had many great exploits in his life. But the Magi didn't bow before Herod, 
At least we don't read that in the text. But they didn't bow before him as king. They wanted to worship the newborn king, the Messiah. They bowed before Jesus. And they saw in Jesus the quality of who he was, who, yeah, who he was, who he was and what he was going to do as the Jewish Messiah. They discovered through it all that Jesus was worth the journey and their joy at finding that object of their desire was fulfilling. Much like that quote from St. Augustine earlier, the Magi had found their rest in Jesus. They had found what they were looking for. And this brings me to ask the question, what is significant about those gifts that they carried with them all the way from their home in the east to this humble place in the little town of Bethlehem? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I'm glad I did too. These gifts were fit for a king. The value was beyond great. The gold and frankincense correspond with the verses we read in Isaiah. The gold recognizes Jesus as king. Frankincense was one of those ingredients in the recipe that was given to Moses for the incense that would be burnt so so that the high priest could offer up prayers on behalf of the people and in the holy place and frankincense recognizes jesus as high priest kind of like we read last week or the week before and in hebrews and the third gift myrrh was an element that was also used in the anointing oil to set priests apart for the work of being in the lord's house and ministering before the lord Myrrh is also listed in that recipe in Exodus chapter 30. And myrrh was an element that was also used commonly in Jewish embalming. Altogether, it speaks to how Jesus, our high priest, was going to offer up the ultimate sacrifice for one time for all to bring salvation to everyone in the world. Myrrh recognizes Jesus as our great sacrifice to bring healing to all humanity. King, priest, and sacrifice. This is who the Magi recognized and believed Jesus to be. This is the Messiah they had come to worship. What about you? Who has Jesus revealed himself to be to you? Have you found in your response to Jesus a fulfillment that comes from him alone. Wherever you're at today, listen to the words of the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Because in Jesus we find the worship that fulfills. Mm -hmm. Because to really experience Jesus proves to be worth the journey. As we kind of wrap things up, the Wiseman journey also found the witness that continues. 
here we have this climactic moment of revelation and response. And the Magi had seen the fulfillment of their journey and experienced a meeting with the Jewish Messiah. And both they and Joseph were warned in dreams to get out of town. On the other side of having fulfilled their objective, what were the wise men to do? They returned to their own country and they had the new task of taking what they had experienced in Bethlehem and to share it with their world. And that's really how it works with us, right? When we experience Jesus, we taste and see that God is good, we receive a story that testifies of his goodness. My good friend Stefan calls it our gospel. Taking not just the facts and details about the gospel, which are 100% absolutely true and good to know, but actually that you receive it and experience it for yourself personally and it impacts you and it changes you and transforms your life and gives you a witness that continues. For the wise men, we don't know their names and we don't know how much, uh, uh, we don't know that much about them. Uh, from this point on in Jesus' story. But what we do know is that this was an awesome encounter. And I imagine that if I was in their shoes, I probably wouldn't ever be the same again. How would I approach everything in my life? Would that be different being shaped by that experience and influenced by that moment? I think this may have been the case. Because I know for my own self, when I have encountered Jesus in my own life, experiencing his amazing grace firsthand, receiving that scripture from Romans 8.1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, praise the Lord for that, that has shaped and influenced me as a person experiencing Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit for myself. And the witness continued for the Magi, and it continues for you and me this morning. God's story shapes our story, and we're trusted to carry the message of our experience of God and his goodness with us as we continue our journey. In Exodus 34, Moses had an encounter of God and his glory, and it's in that great chapter of the Bible that we hear God describe himself. But in his life, Moses couldn't just live on that mountaintop moment. He couldn't just constantly live at the place of the tent of meeting where he would go to talk to God. Moses had to come down off the mountain and take what he had learned on the mountain into the everyday parts of his life. The nation needed Moses' witness to continue. In the same way, the Magi and Joseph and Mary's witness also needed to continue. God directed them in their way and they surrendered to his leadership. In the same way, our continued journey of submission to God's plans and purposes confirms our belief that Jesus is worth it. So what is God calling you to do with your experience of him this morning? I believe the beautiful call of this passage is to allow 
our experience of Jesus to knit us into the overall tapestry of God's redemption story. You have a story of what God's grace means to you. How his kindness led you to repentance and brought you to the place of full surrender to the Savior King named Jesus. You may have not even even known that he was a king at the time, but you just knew that Jesus died for your sins and you, you put your faith and trust in that and how that completely, utterly changed your life. The witness continues because Jesus is worth the journey that we take every day to carry the good news of what we've experienced into every part of our lives. Now, the rest of chapter 2 stands as a sobering look at how Jesus' story is linked with the story of Israel and the story of the Exodus as a sort of literary motif. Here in Matthew's Gospel, we see a pattern that's strikingly similar to Moses' journey. How Moses was God's chosen instrument uh, around the time he was born, Pharaoh threw all the babies into the Nile River that were two and under, and ultimately God called Israel out of Egypt. Jesus echoes this where Jesus, as the Messiah, was God's chosen instrument. Around the time he was born, or two years later, within that time frame, King Herod ordered all the Jewish boys to be murdered, and all of that was to quell any threat to the throne. And God sent Joseph and his family to Egypt to protect Jesus, but also so that it could be fulfilled from a prophecy in Hosea that God would call his son out of Egypt. There is no righteous justification for the genocide of this generation of Jewish boys. None. But that being said, I do think that in the record of these events, we find that God knew that this wrong would take place as the Messiah and his kingdom would come on the scene. Because the kingdom of this world is at odds with the kingdom of God. Because God's goodness threatens to undermine and overcome the cheap alternative that keeps us bound up in the world. The good news that Messiah has come is that God has come to rescue us out of our sin and death and deliver us into everlasting life in his kingdom. So as the story wraps up, we find that God provides the way of rescue. And so I don't know about you, but kind of like these wise men that we read about today, what I'm looking for in my experience with God and this journey of faith is a wonder that inspires, looking for that revelation from God, for God to actually speak today. Did you know God speaks today? He can actually speak to you today. I'm looking for the worship that fulfills, that experience of actually coming into his presence and having that encounter with the living Jesus. The witness that continues, that witness that we carry with us everywhere we go, that we can share the gospel with boldness because God has touched my life and he's touched your life. And we can just share, you know, what that experience meant to us and the way that rescues. And because of all of that, it all points me to Jesus. That's what I'm looking for. And my soul finds rest and fulfillment in him and him alone.
Would you pray with me as the worship team comes up? Father, we thank you for this morning, for this Labor Day weekend. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together and read your word and sing some songs and pray with one another. Thank you that we have that opportunity. And God, right now, for anyone who is watching, for anybody who is here in this service right now, God, if there's something that we're searching for, that we're trying to fill with other things, I believe we're really searching for you. And so God, help us to overcome our pride and any kind of idea of being ashamed that maybe it took us this long to figure it out and help us to cry out to you. I also ask God that for those of us who have been walking with you for a long time, I pray that you would reinvigorate our walk with you, that you would just breathe fresh life into it, that we would come away from moments of hearing you speak, just with astounding wonder that we would worship you and that that would fill our love bucket, so to speak. God, that we would be your witnesses, both here in this little area of Florence, maybe to Mapleton and Swiss Home and all the surrounding areas and beyond, God, that we would be witnesses everywhere we go of the difference you've made in our lives. God, thank you so much that you chose to rescue us and that you love us so much and that we can rest in you. For all my friends here today, as we respond in worship, speaking of your excellencies, God, we want to bless your heart this morning. In your name, amen.